wonderful Thanksgiving. I just kind of want to recap uh, uh, the week for us. Uh, it seems like forever ago now, but um, last Tuesday we had our tons of turkey uh, distribution for the food pantry, and every year we kind of come into that week um, not exactly knowing what's going to happen because so much of it is just dependent on last-minute stuff because we're waiting for all the deals and for everyone to kind of bring in their turkeys and, and so on. Uh, but uh, we had um, approximately 415 turkeys come in this year through tons of turkey. Yeah. And we only needed 315 turkeys. Now, I want to point out that we had 101 turkeys come to us through the food bank. So even if the food bank hadn't given us a single turkey, we would have had enough turkeys to distribute through the work that you guys did of contributing turkeys. So that's good. So thank you. Thank you for all the work you did in bringing in turkeys and donating money and spreading the word and getting people from outside here uh, to donate towards that. A lot of people were able to have turkey for Thanksgiving, and we also had others uh, donate other parts of the meal like stuffing and uh, green beans and rolls and a whole bunch of stuff. So they walked out of here uh, if you saw the commercial for, you know, Safeway's, like, pre-packaged deal, like $50 worth of food, that's essentially what most people walked out of here with on Tuesday evening. So a lot of people were able to have a really great Thanksgiving feast because of the hard work that a lot of you put in over the last couple of months to gear up for that. So thank you. I wanted to just say thank you for, for helping. You guys are amazing. You step up to challenges like that uh, in ways that I couldn't even uh, expect. It's a lot of work. And you guys had to do a lot of work to get there, to get all the turkeys in, but I think it was worth it. So, uh, but we, like I said, we have 100 turkeys left over. So uh, we decided instead of, you know, trying to figure out how to distribute them fairly through the food pantry, since they came in through the church for the most part, about 75 of them are ones that came in through the church. The other 25 will distribute through the food pantry on Tuesdays, but um, we would like to be able to make you guys kind of uh, ambassadors of generosity and turkey to some people. Um, so we're hoping over the next couple of days that you will be able to come up with some names, especially of foster families that you may know in our area who could maybe use a turkey for Christmas. And so if you know someone who is a foster parent around that has kids in their house that they're, that they're kind of caring for that aren't theirs. This is very uh, in heart with who we are as a church, caring for orphans. Uh, so we would love to be able to give them some turkey this Christmas. And then what we want to do, we don't really want to be the ones to just distribute it here. We'd love for you to be the ones to get to take the turkey and go give it out, and you get to experience firsthand uh, the joy that you can give to someone by giving them a turkey. So we're going to be uh, looking for names. So if you have names, if you can write those on the connection card, if you know some people who are foster families that are in your sphere of influence, whether it's in your neighborhood or someone you work with or someone in your family, kind of anyone that's connected to you that's a foster parent, then write their name down or say, I know some people, contact me, put that on your connection card and put that in the offering at the end of the service and we'll be in touch. And then we'll also be looking outside of here for some uh, other places to get some names for foster families that we can donate those turkeys to. So be a kind of a fun way to continue on the blessing that you guys have, have given through the last couple of months. So uh, that's that announcement. And then um, next week, we're starting a, a Christmas series. So we're going to kind of be doing all Christmas stuff 
all the way now, except for today, for the rest of the rest of the year, going all the way up till our Twas the Night Before Christmas Eve service. And so we're going to be uh, looking at some Christmas carols and looking at some of the history of the Christmas carols as well as some of the theology and the things that we learn through these Christmas carols. Some of the stories are really astounding. And so we're just going to take one or two carols a week and kind of build up a whole theme for the next couple of Sundays and let those speak to us because there is a lot of, of rich uh, theology and the carols, and we want to spend some time looking at those over the next few weeks. That's what we're going to be doing. But as you know, Christmas is coming, so we're going to be taking this sanctuary and turning it into a Christmas theme afterwards. So if you are willing to stick around after the service and help decorate, we've got some decorations we'll pull down, and the more people we get doing it, um, one thing I am putting, uh, I'm, I'm making a stand on is we usually put a tree out in the lobby, and whoever the poor people are that get stuck putting together that tree, they start before anyone else, and they're still putting that tree together by the time the rest of us are done with the whole building. So that tree is not going to go up this year. So someone isn't going to have to do that. And if we don't do that tree, I think it'll go by pretty quick. And whoever sticks around will order some pizza to thank you for putting up decorations because we don't want to put up Christmas decorations by ourselves, and we appreciate the help. So my family, my kids, my kids are excited. I've just uh, never really been all that into decorating. I don't know why. But uh, so if you want to stick around for that, and then we'll kind of get the whole place looking fun and festive for our Christmas season coming up. And then I know it's a few weeks away, but just a reminder, we're having our Twas the Night Before Christmas Eve service on December 23rd, and then we are not having service on Christmas Sunday that's not because we're sacrilegious, but it's because we want to give you the opportunity to celebrate Christmas with your families, and so we're going to have a celebration on the 23rd like we always do, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you back here on January 1st for that uh, beginning of the new year. This Friday night, Girls Happy Hour uh, at 6.30, and it's here at the church. It's a classic movie night. Is it a classic Christmas movie? Yes. Okay, classic Christmas movie and a cookie exchange. So, uh, ladies, if you want to come be a part of that, it's a good time to fellowship and get to know that. And then lastly, the kids' party is next Sunday. They do, they collect rocks, and uh, they've kind of been collecting rocks for a couple months now, so they're having their party next Sunday morning during the service. So if you know some kids who have been here over the last couple months, it would be a good opportunity to invite them back. Say, hey, come on back. You're having your party next Sunday. Um, two notes, if you have your app or your phone, if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can download that and uh, you can go open up our notes for this morning. It has today's scripture as well as the bulletin in it, and that's the YouVersion Bible app. And then you click on the little More tab down in the bottom and click on Events, and you'll see a little map, and click on 6-8 Church, and that pulls up today's uh, events, and so you can follow along with the scripture there and have all of the announcements. And uh, I would like to ask a question. So if you have your phones and you'd like to respond via text, you can do so at 360-818-4399. We're going to be going through, because just kind of a little standalone sermon uh, this morning, Romans chapter 8. And as we go through this morning, if you have questions that come up while we're reading through this text, uh, I would love for you to text those in, and I'll do my best to address those. If they're really deep and theological, I may skip over them. That's not because I don't care about your question. 
Uh, it might just be because uh, I'm not that smart and uh, I don't want to do disservice or because I just don't have time to get into that for this, this morning. There's a lot in here that we're going to cover. So, Romans chapter 8, I want to set some context before we get into the verses that will be up on the screen. And uh, so we're going to start at the very beginning of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, Paul was talking about, uh, by the way, if you've never read Romans, it's a great book to read. It takes some time, give yourself some time to read through it, but it'd be a great book to just slowly work your way through and let it saturate uh, your minds and your hearts and kind of develop and form some proper thinking about who Christ is, what He has done, and the life that we receive in Christ because of what Christ has done. So it'd be great for you to just go and start reading through that this week. Uh, like we say so many times, don't just take my word for it, but go and read and make sure that what I'm telling you on Sundays is what the Bible actually says. And if it doesn't appear to line up, then come and talk to me about it and let's make sure we're on the right page. And that's the page that God says what is true, nothing else. So, but uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul is kind of talking about the law and a lot of the things that happen through the law, and I'm not going to get into that too much this morning, but essentially it boils down to because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we are released from uh, the law. That doesn't mean we don't have an obligation to fulfill the moral aspects of the law. There's a lot more to it than that. But that's kind of where we pick up in, in Romans chapter 8. And we start off with this really famous passage that probably most of you have heard and maybe memorized at some point in your life if you've been going to church. And if not, there is a great truth in this passage that, that you should hear and you should understand. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's how Paul starts off this chapter. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you are not condemned any longer by the law or by the flesh. You are now set free by the work that Christ accomplished on the cross. So that is good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, we invite you in this morning and we'd love for you to be able to take part of that fact that you can stand without condemnation because of Christ. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, I want to, I want to explain something because he's going he's gonna to talk about two things here and doesn't really necessarily make a real uh, distinct transition between them. He's kind of continuing on the idea of talking about the law, which he's continuing from chapter 7 when he was writing that, that section but then he's going to turn and just talk about the flesh, and a lot of those are intertwined because we'll see uh, that, the, that the law and the flesh uh, kind of hold hands and keeping us bound in our old patterns and old ways. But so the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law, from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, there's a lot just in those two verses, but uh, God sent Jesus Christ to die and pay and fulfill the law. And so one of the things that He talks about that, we, that we've talked about in the past is that um, when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The, the work of fulfilling the law had been finished when he was on the cross. And so now the demands of the law on us are met in Christ, and we now have freedom because of what Christ has done for us. 
By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ came and He walked this earth, and He walked and He looked and He acted like a human being, but He was the likeness of sinful flesh. He was not sinful. It's important that we understand that, that Jesus Christ did not sin while He was on this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. If He had not lived a perfect, sinless life, then He would have been dying for His own sins on the cross and could not have died for our sins. But because He lived the perfect, sinless life, He became the ransom for the sins of the world and died in our place. So even though we see Him as a man, we see Him as a human, He was only in the likeness of sinful flesh, not actually a sinful person. But by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Now, he's made that transition I was just talking about. Now we're talking about the flesh and the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks, that for those who are still in the flesh, if you're in the flesh and have not received God's gift of life, and now the Spirit of Christ is living in you and empowering you to live this new life that we've been gifted to be able to live, then we're still under the flesh, and the flesh is under the corruption that stems all the way back to the very beginning. And so, like we just heard, not only are people going to act in a corrupted, sinful manner who don't yet know Christ, they can't not act any other way. So those who are corrupted have to act corrupted. It's not possible for someone who does not know Christ to be able to live out the law and the commands of Christ. And that's a lot of the point that goes with the law, is that it wasn't possible to live out the law and live the law perfectly. We needed a Savior, and the whole law was pointing towards Christ coming as our Redeemer to set us free from the law of sin and death. But even those who are not even thinking about the law, they cannot live up to this life that God has given. They're hostile to God because they are bound by the flesh. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, however is just a fancy but. That's from friends, if you don't know that. (laughs) You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So if you are in Christ, here's some good news, right? You're not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, every believer, this is what we believe and what we teach here, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. They receive the the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in us, and now we are being dwelt, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we're no longer controlled by the flesh. We are controlled by the Spirit. It gets more complicated than that, but keep that in mind as we go through. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So going back, he's making that same plea. If the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell in you, then let's get that fixed. Let's Let's get you believing in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of salvation that Christ offers and receive the gift of His Spirit so that you can live this life. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So if the one, if God, who raised Christ from the dead, if His Spirit, the the Spirit that is in unity with the whole Trinity, if the Spirit of God lives in you, this is why we talk about um, how we no longer need to come to a temple to worship, but we are God's temple because God dwells in us. So there's nothing holy about this room or this building. We are God's temple. We are the thing that is supposed to be holy. We are the thing that's supposed to be set apart. So, so that's why we use this thing for a whole bunch of different things throughout the week, because it's not a holy room. There's no such thing anymore as a holy room. We are God's temple, and God has created us now to, to be the body of His Spirit. But now Christ is in us, and it is the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead who dwells in us. Think about that for just a second because it ties together a really important idea. It's the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead that dwells in those who believe. It's the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in those who believe. Think about what we were before Christ. What what does Paul say that we were before Christ? We were death. We were bound by the law of sin and death. We were bound under these ways of destruction and corruption, but because the Spirit who raised Christ dwells in us, now that death has been resurrected into new life. We have put to death the old man and been raised to new life in Christ. So now the Spirit of Christ is raising us up, restoring this life that that Christ had for us, and now we live a resurrected life, even though our mortal bodies still suffer some of the consequences. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. This is verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is one of the things that should drive us to want to bring as many as we can into the kingdom. As that we have been, even though we were bound to death and we deserve death, we have been given this gift of a resurrected life in Christ, and now we have the spirit of resurrection literally living inside of us, and then we go out of this place where we're no longer with those who are resurrected and are now living back in the death and the sinful and the corrupted ways of the world, and what we see is that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. One of the things that should drive us as followers of Jesus Christ to want to bring as many to the, to the table as we possibly can is that we know that they are bound to destruction. They are bound to death. And if we don't do anything to step in and help them see the light and bring them to the table and help them see that God died for them as well and that He wants to fill them with His spirit of resurrection, then we know that they are destined for eternal destruction. And that's not a popular thing to talk about anymore, and it's not fun. But just because it's not popular and not fun doesn't mean that it's no longer true. By the way, I wanted to share this. I'll probably do a whole sermon on this a little bit later, but um, while we're here, I'll just go ahead and bring it up. 
because you know I was going to talk about truth at some point today. I was watching the news uh, about a week or so ago, and they were sharing, you know, how they do the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year every year. Well, the, uh, the Word of the Year for uh, 2016 is the word post-truth. It's relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Post-truth is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. You may have seen that at some point in time. It's been in several news stories since then. But we live in a world now that is trying to actually live post-truth, where truth and facts are no longer as important as what I feel, and if what I feel makes me feel like the truth is wrong, then the truth is wrong, and my feelings trump the truth, right? My, my feelings outweigh the truth. That's a problem. We shouldn't be in a position where we think that what we feel is more important than what the truth is. But once we start to understand that the world is living under the law of sin and death, they're living under the corruption that is the only thing that they know, then we understand why they think that way, why, why we can still tend to think that way, why we still allow ourselves to be, to be affected more by emotion than by truth. It's because we understand that there's this old pattern, this old world, this old way of thinking that controls most of us, like we talked about last week. It's, it's the spirit that is at, at work in the, in the air right now, and it's controlling so many people and keeping them thinking about corruption and ultimately thinking about self. And we talked about how selfishness can really lead us away from Christ. And if we're, if we're trying to follow Jesus Christ, we have to lay ourselves down. The call is to deny ourselves and take up the cross, not to make much of ourselves like we often want to do. And so, it's in stark contrast to the way the world thinks. And so, it's no wonder that the world is adopting ideas like post-truth. They can't think any differently. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Someone just texted, and man is following what is right in his own mind. That's a true statement, and in fact, I would say what Paul is arguing, they're doing what they can only do because that's all we know. We're hostile to God until we put our faith in Christ and receive the gift of freedom from those things. It's also not, uh, not real common to teach this, but... Um, we have to understand that if we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we're living in rebellion against God. We're rebelling against God by saying, no, I can do it on my own. I can do it my way. I don't need God's help. And when we don't need God's help, we're rebelling against God. And so we are living in rebellion against Him if we have not put our faith in Him and are living our lives in submission to His ways. Go back to here. Get off my uh, soapbox. Because we got to get to the actual scripture. I'm just kind of setting. Now, this is all introduction. Don't worry, we won't spend a ton of time. Well, I, I won't make any promises. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14 For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a way of saying, Daddy. Abba, Father. Think about that. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer slaves to fear. Think about the world that we live in and how the world is driven by fear. And if you can make someone afraid of something, you can control them. And so our world is dominated by fearful ideas and agendas and an attempt to control someone by using fear to get them to do what you want. They're slaves to their fear because they don't understand that there is someone who has come and set them free from everything that could possibly make them afraid. But we didn't receive that spirit when we received the spirit of Christ. We're not going to fall back into the spirit of fear, which is, by the way, something that I have from time to time, and maybe I'm not the only one in this room. I tend to sometimes fall back into that. I think it's been a while, but um, I used to really kind of be driven by, you know, this fear that the world was just going to come to an end and we wouldn't be ready. Not, not like Jesus coming back kind of a world, but, but, you know, just like America, like a lot of people are saying right now, um, you know, America is coming to an end and the whole thing's going to come crashing down and so you have to buy gold and uh, you have to stock up on canned foods and all of that stuff. You know, it's like kind of the, the apocalypse was coming and there was a time where I was kind of driven by that fear and it was a couple years ago and, and finally God just really convicted me of that. It's like, you know what? I got this thing under control. No matter what happens, you're going to be with me in the end. So let's just move forward. And I know that I'm not the only one who has done that because I'm on Facebook and I see some of our people's posts, and I'm not going to call anyone out by name, but I know that there can be a tendency to, uh, to live by fear, not making any political statements, but leading up to the election, there was fear on both sides trying to drive us to make the decision for one candidate or the other. And now since the election, we are trying to be, or the, the world is trying to drive us by fear, saying that the world is going to come to an end because of this election. Well, you know, as we said from the very beginning, God is in control, has always been in control, will always be in control. None of this is a surprise to Him. And so since He has known from the very beginning what was going to happen, there must be some plan to it, right? God is not a haphazard God throwing things together at the last minute like we often do. God has a plan. And as the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, I think if you want to go look it up, there is no one in power who God has not allowed to be in power. And so what God has done, He has done for a reason. Our, 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 our purpose in it is to respond and follow God and help lead people out of the fear. Our purpose and our, our, our agenda should never be to go back into our fearful ways because whatever happened wasn't what we wanted or it was what we wanted to happen or whatever ended up happening, you know, drove us one way or another or however it is. It's just we shouldn't be driven by fear. Fear should not control us. We should be agents of hope and peace. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, now your spirit 
is full of the Spirit, and those two spirits come together in agreement, saying that we are children of God. And if we are His children, and if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, testifies, it agrees with our spirit that we are now sons of God. We've talked about this many times. And now, because we are sons of God, we are heirs of God. We actually have an heir to the kingdom of God. We are going to receive the blessings of being a son of the King. And because of that, we are going to be a part of the great gift and the great feast and have a seat at the table for all of eternity. And we are fellow heirs Some translations say co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We like to leave that part out. I would rather leave that part out. I would rather not have to suffer for Christ. I would rather have uh, the roses and honey and milk and all of the joys and the easy life, but there's a guarantee we're going to have to suffer something Now, verse 18, this is kind of what we've been building up to, kind of where we're heading as a church, some of the stuff we've been talking about. We're still kind of bringing an end to this whole uh, live a life that shines idea we've been talking about for the month of November. And this is something that, that we feel passionate about, I feel passionate about for us as a church, that we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to be. So let's read through this, 18 through 25, and then let's kind of come back and break it down and talk about it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In other words, the worst thing that can happen to us right now cannot compare with the glory. There's no contrast whatsoever. The glory that is going to be revealed to us far outweighs anything we could suffer in this life. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Future glory. It's the now and not yet of our faith. And the now we have received redemption, we have received salvation. We, if we were to stand before God today, we would be saved because of what we have received. But there's a not yet aspect to our faith. Yes, God wants to work in us right now. He wants to redeem us right now. He wants to transform us right now. He wants us to live this life that He's gifted us to live. But we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. And until that time, there's just kind of this groan, just, just 
uneasy spirit that we have that we're still here in this moment in the here and now where we have not yet received the full promise of the gift of Christ that we will someday receive when we stand before Him. And I was doing a lot of thinking and a lot of praying about that because that's a tension that we have to wrestle with as a church. It's a tension we have to wrestle with as followers of Jesus Christ. Because for a lot of time, you know, the, I don't know how many of you grew up in the church, but a lot of the time that, you know, our growing up, our focus was a lot on the second coming, the return of Christ, when Christ was going to come back and make everything good again. And if you read throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, you see a lot of that focus, that there's this hope that Christ is coming and everything is going to be made whole. All of the broken stuff is going to be fixed and Jesus Christ is going to come and He's going to redeem it and fix it all. And we will be on the right side of eternity because we are heirs with Christ. We're going to be able to have a part in that kingdom. And we spend a lot of time focusing on that. We spend a lot of time singing songs about that. What a day that will be, right? Anyone remember that song? When we all get to heaven. And I agree with the, with, with the truth of those things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should not long for that day. Paul is not saying that. We should absolutely long for that day. Like he says, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons. There's, there's just, there should be this longing in us that says, you know what? I can't wait for the day when I am finally set free from the entirety of all of this world and all of the corruption from the flesh that still bogs me down from time to time because as we see throughout this uh, scripture, if you want to go back and read it again, we are still subject to our flesh, even though we've been set free by the Spirit of Christ. We still have things we have to deal with. But we've received the first fruits of the Spirit, and we can't wait for the day. But what about now? What about, what about today? What about the world that we live in in this present moment? What if we spend all of our energy thinking about and hoping for that day that, that we actually stop doing any good in the world that we are in right now? What about all the people who are trapped in bondage to fear and corruption, who are just waiting for us, who, who are longing for us to come and bring the message of life and peace to help them in the here and now? And if we don't come and help them because we're so focused on the not yet, what happens to those who don't know? Back to verse 19. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Listen to that. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What I would like for you to do as you read through these verses now and later today is to keep that now and not yet thinking in mind, that there's the now aspect and there's the not yet aspect, because I think it carries, uh, it, it, it broadens our understanding of this passage if we'll think about it. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a revealing that's going to happen at some point in the future that will totally correct everything that has happened until now. But there's also the revealing that is taking place through each and every one of our lives. And this is where we're spending our time and our effort and our energy as a church. 
is that even though the perfect, complete, holistic redemption of all of creation is not going to happen until Jesus Christ comes and brings His kingdom back on the earth, the kingdom of God is still here in the lives of those who believe. And what God wants to happen is that we become agents of hope, we become agents of peace, and we go out into the world and we share that hope and peace and bring people out of the fear and the corruption and the condemnation that they are currently living in. And what does Paul tell us? I think, I think he makes it really clear. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a longing. There's an eager anticipation. There's a, where are you? And I think if we were to look at our world today, we would have to look at the church and say, where are you? Where is the hope that you're supposed to be bringing to us who are living in this corruption and fear? But you know what? This is something that God has been teaching me lately. It's not just the people who are outside the kingdom that that is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's the actual whole operating system like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Remember we talked about the corruption that has entered the, entered the world and kind of corrupted the operating system like a virus does, and so, so everything was supposed to function in a certain way and it no longer does. Well, well, the entire operating system of the world around us is built on that flawed operating system. And so not only are the people who are a part of creation waiting for us to come in and be agents of hope and peace and, and quelch their fears, squelch their fears, whatever the word is, I don't know, but... Um, the, the actual operating system of the world is groaning for us to come in and bring the truth that God has laid out for us in His Word and start to bring the redemption and the transformation that He had in mind from the very beginning to the broken, operating, faulty systems of the world. And so we've talked a lot about how we want to live a life that shines and how each of us have a responsibility to go out into the darkness, into the darkest, messiest recesses of this earth and live a life that shines, live a life that begs the question, why are you the way that you are? But we also, I think, have a responsibility to go into the operating system and start doing what we can to repair the operating system. So that means we need to go into the community, and where we see corruption in the community, we work to be agents of peace and hope. Where people are being taken advantage of because of the operating system around us, and we become their champions for justice and right. Where we see corruption affecting masses on different scales and in different, different venues. We need to be people that come into these darkest recesses and say, you know what? Not only are the people who are in this corrupted, but the system is messed up. The system is corrupted because it's bound by the corruption of the world. And so we have to come in and we have to try to be agents of change in the system as well as in the people. I'm not talking about anything political. I'm not talking about anything related to our election or anything that's going on in our world. I'm talking about the fall of humanity back in Genesis chapter 3, the corruption that came on the world as a result of choosing to disobey God, and now we, because we've received the gift of life and hope and peace through Jesus Christ, have the answer to that corruption, and we now have the hope that we can bring into the world, we can bring into the people's lives, we can bring into the life of the whole operating system we live in. 
And what I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm dreaming for us as a church, at 6A Church, is we become people that go out and by our lives we live a life that shines and we go out into the world and we start to look for the corruption that exists in this broken and fallen world and we bring the hope of the gospel to it. And as we bring the hope of the gospel, we start seeing the resolution that comes because Jesus Christ is using the gospel and the hope and the peace and the spirit at work in us to bring resolution to all of these folk and or, uh, broken, faulty things that we start to see the opportunity to share Christ with many, many more people. Because when you can say, you know what, we came in and we, we helped fix this problem, and we did it because we see the hope that is in each and every one of you. We came and we helped, we helped fix this problem because it was broken and it was hurting so many people, but, but, we, but God gave us a way to remedy the, the problem and give us a solution so that we could come in and fix it. And there's so many ways that this can be played out that I can't really give good examples, but we can go into the world and start to fix the corruption because we have the right thinking. If we have the right thinking... The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. There's that now and not yet. So the first fruits is the implication we've received a little bit of it, but there's a lot more to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoptions, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is a great theme to talk about at Christmas time, especially if you like getting presents, because you're probably hoping for something, right? I have some really nerdy hopes that I'm hoping for for Christmas time. I kind of made my list and you know shared them with my wife and. Um, one of those, because our power goes out from time to time, it's this little, so it's a square candle thing. You put a tea light in it, and the light of the candle provides enough heat to create electricity for LED lights. That's kind of cool, right? I mean, you don't have to worry about having batteries, you just have to have candles. So you don't have to worry about buying one thing, you just have to buy the other. I know, it makes perfect sense. But, you know, I'm kind of hoping for that, and, you know, I'm just kind of laying the groundwork here in the sermon to make sure that my wife hears that that's something that I want. But hope is a great theme to talk about at Christmas time because, yes, the hope of the entire human race came at Christmas. The hope came and, and, and kind of lived and walked among us, but Hope that is seen is not hope. That's assurance, right? We don't need to hope for something that we already have. And if I already had this gift, I wouldn't be hoping for it anymore. I would already have it. That's the not yet. 
Yes, we have received the gift of hope from Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be agents of hope and agents of peace and agents of all of these wonderful fruits that He's given us in this life. But there is a not yet that we're looking forward to that should, if anything, drive us to want to pull people out of the corruption that they're currently experiencing. Because the closer we get every day, the closer we get to the hope that we're going to someday realize face to face, we should see that we're really getting further away And if we're not doing something to try to pull people along with us and drag them into the future with us so that they have the hope that we have, then we have to understand that when we have our our minds and and our hearts set fully and only on the hope that is to come, then we have missed out on the hope that these people and this world desperately needs. So we hope, we hope for the day when it's all going to be revealed, it's all going to be fixed, it's all going to be made whole. We just can't wait for that day, but that hope, if anything, pulls us to want to pull more people. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That's my dream for us at 6-8, is that God will give each and every one of you and give me and give us collectively ideas and solutions and strategies to go into the darkness of the broken, faulty, fallen world and start to shine the light of hope. We've received the hope, and so we ought to be able to go into the world and say, hey guys, look, there's a better way. (laughs) Of course, if you go in and do that, that's going to cause you maybe a little bit of suffering, a little bit of persecution, but, but we go in and we try to do it in a gracious way and we try to work with people and love people and use all of the guidelines that God has given us in the New Testament to kind of bring them on to the right path so that they start to see, you know what, this crazy guy from that 6-8 place, whatever that is, whether it's a church or not, because a lot of people don't even know that we're a church, which is hard to understand, but anyway, um, that, that crazy 6-8 person, they keep talking about this thing, and I was looking at it, and it's actually starting to make sense. And in fact, it's, it's the world that I'm living in and the reality that I'm currently experiencing that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I, I think I might want to try that a little bit. <laughs> hey, crazy 6-8 guy, can we talk? And I think if we do that, if we become that kind of church that shines that kind of light, lives that kind of life, the spirit of hope and peace will work through us to draw people to redemption and transformation now and ultimate salvation not yet. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, 
Hope that is seen is not hope at all, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Would you stand with me? The band is going to come, and as we sing this song, we invite you to come forward and get the elements for communion. We'll take communion together at the end of the song. I want to pray for us today as we head into Christmas. Pray for the lives that we're living and leading over the next month. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fulfillment of your promises that we experience right now. I thank you that there is a now aspect to our faith, that our entire hope is not only in what is going to happen, but there is assurance because of what has already happened. That we can have peace because we've already received peace. We can have joy because we've already received joy. We can have love because we've already received love. But Father, I pray for each and every one of us in this room this morning, no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves at this point in time, that you would start to stir in our hearts a desire and a passion to go into the world and start to be the hope that creation itself is longing for. We know that it's eagerly awaiting. We are also eagerly awaiting something even more majestic than we've already experienced. But there are those who are still under the bondage of fear, under the corruption of this darkness that we are surrounded by. They're controlled by it. That is the only thing they know. And we have the hope and the answer for them. Father, put a burden on our hearts to go and live lives that shine, that they may be drawn to your light shining in us and through us and the peace that you want them to have and experience and receive because we are agents of peace. Father, over the next month, I pray that you would give each and every one of us opportunities to speak into the corruption of the world and to find ways to solve the corruption with the truth. And that as we see the broken system that we're surrounded by, that you would, by your power, give us the truth that we can use to start to fix and bring peace and healing to that corruption that you would give us ways to conquer the injustices of this world as you've given us as a mission as a church, that you would overwhelm us with mercy for those who are still under the ties and the bonds of corruption, and that you would help us to see that they are, they are bound by what they know and that their only hope is for us to speak the love into their lives and speak truth into their lives. Fill us with mercy and compassion for them. And Father, help us to walk humbly as a church to be people who step into these areas, to step into the brokenness and the darkness with humility, that we don't come in with the solution proud and arrogant as though we've, fought, as though we've solved and fixed every problem, but, Father, that we come in with humility, walking humbly with you, our God, and do whatever you give us to do to bring hope and peace and life. We thank you for that. We we praise you for what we've received. We praise you for what we're going to someday receive. And we ask for your spirit to work in us to help us be agents of your mission to fix the corruption. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.